We're going to do something now that in the nine years of me being part of this church, I've never seen done. We're going to play a game. Kids' church always play games. We don't as adults, so we're going to mix things up. We're going to play a game. Don't worry, you don't have to get out of your seats. It's called Guess Who Said It? On the screen, there are going to be some quotes, and we have to guess who said these quotes. And it's A, B, or C. If you think it's A, hands in the air. B, hands in your head. C, hands in your shoulders. Make sense? You can do this. All right. First quote up on the screen. If I break wind, so fart, in Wittenberg, they smell it in Rome. A, Boris Johnson. B, Martin Luther. C, Albert Einstein. Lock in your answer. It is A. Oh, no, no, sorry. Gotcha. <laughs> it is Martin Luther. It is B. The one who started the Reformation. Next quote. I call on you not to hate, because hate does not leave space for a person to be fair, and it makes you blind and closes all doors of thinking. A, Gandhi. B, Nelson Mandela. C, Saddam Hussein. What do you think? The answer is C, Saddam Hussein. Surprising, isn't it? Those nice words. You could almost put it on a mug, but, you know. I did not come to bring us peace, but a sword. A, Jesus. B, Prophet Muhammad. C, Genghis Khan. What do you think? It is A, Jesus Christ. If you got three out of three, you get an extra cookie at supper. That's your prize. What's interesting with all those quotes is all of them have in common is they're not necessarily things you'd expect to come from their mouth. The most shocking of all is Jesus. He said those words. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, it's shocking because, I mean, Jesus spoke about, you know, in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. He himself was known as the Prince of Peace. In shopping centres right around this country, they're playing the song, Peace on Earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. We're about to listen to the voice of the king, as the Bible is read. We're going to hear it in the Old Testament in Micah 7 and then see how it's fulfilled in Matthew 10. And as we listen to the voice of the king, he is going to speak to his disciples of what it truly means to be a follower of him. So grab your Bibles and let's turn to Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7, verses 1 to 7. What misery is mine? I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright worse than a thorn hedge. The day God visits you has come. The day your watchmen sound the alarm. Now is the time of your confusion. Do not trust a neighbour, put no confidence in a friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips. For a son dishonours 
his father. A daughter rises up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. But for me, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Saviour. My God will hear me. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teacher and servants to be like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring you peace. To, sorry, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a mother, a man against his father a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you, me, and anyone who welcomes sorry, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever becomes a prophet, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water, to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. This is the word of the Lord. I want to kick things off by talking about Meghan Markle. Uh, I don't know if you think about it, but uh, I don't know if you watched that interview with her and Oprah uh, a number of months ago where Oprah sat down. Uh, and some very lovely chairs, and asked her a whole bunch of questions and uh, experience of being part of the royal family, of what that was like. And there was one moment in that interview where I said I had to pause it and rewind. I said, did she just say that? It was the moment where Oprah was asking uh, Megan, did you do any research about what it might be like to be a royal? What it might be like, the, the, the challenges that you might face, any training that you had? And she said, no. I was like, no research? Not at all? 
I mean, I did research when I applied for my job at, at 16 at IGA as a, you know, stack filler, right? No research. I mean, all she had to do was Google one word to find out what it'd be like. Diana, right? <laughs> she, she didn't have to do much, but she did nothing. When it comes to Jesus and you becoming a Christian, he doesn't want you to have a Megan Markle moment. He wants you to be fully aware of what the costs, the sacrifices, the challenges that you will face in following him. He doesn't want it to be a surprise. If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you're investigating, right? There's a hunger there. There's an interest there. This passage is for you because Jesus is laying it out. He is honest. He's not holding anything back of what it will mean, what it could mean for you in your life if you choose to follow him. If you're here as a Christian, most of us are, this is a reminder from the voice of our king of what a normal Christian experiences around this world. So let's start with that verse, that real what the kind of verse in verse 34. We kick this thing off. Verse 34, Jesus says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, it's confusing at one point because elsewhere in John 16, Jesus did say, I've come that you may have peace. So he's obviously talking about different types of peace, right? What the peace he's talking about here is what I call a Miss Universe kind of peace, a sentimental, everything's fine, there's no problems, let's all hug it out, a fake kind of peace, a peace that pretends that there's nothing wrong. It's like a moldy cake that's festering away, that's covered in thick icing. On the outside it looks good, but deep down you know it's not. And that's symbolic for so many of our relationships, right? Even our families, right? On the outside, we look good. We're smiling. We've got happy photos. We're all good. But there is a lot of pain. There are a lot of hurts and arguments that have been happening over years, and it is festering away. But on the outside, it looks fine. Jesus says when he crossed the universe, he's not coming to say everything's all good. You look good on the outside. It's all good. No, no, no. He comes with a sword to expose what's really happening. He comes with a sword to expose our human hearts that they are not what they should be. Behind the thick icing of our lives, Jesus has come to divide. But not only that, the peace, the true peace, because Jesus knows true peace is only brought about by pain, right? He knows that for us to have true peace with him, the sword must fall, and ultimately he did on himself. He went to that cross and he had peace with you and I. Now, every Christian knows that, has experienced that, right? The only way we're a Christian is when we acknowledge we are sick, sick with sin. I'm sorry, God, please forgive me. And we know that we have peace because Jesus brought it about on that cross. That is what every Christian holds to be true. But Jesus is saying the sword's not just going to stop there. It goes further still. Verse 38, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now, whenever Jesus talks about cost, right, we do like the idea that it cost everything for Jesus to be in relationship with me. We love that. Love Easter. But that it would cost me something? We tend to think, you know what? I thought this Christianity thing was all about grace. I thought salvation was free. Well, what do I have? What's this about me doing things? And it is. The way to heaven is free. It is a gift. 
But when you accept that gift, it does come with implications. Jesus says, at one level, it makes logic sense that it does come with implications. I mean, have a look at verse 24, like logically. He's saying there, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teacher and servants to be like their master. If the head of the household is called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? What he's saying there is, if our expectations, particularly Christians, if we see Jesus, right, he was betrayed, hated, rejected, hung up on a cross, and he's our hero, and so he, we follow him, and we think my life's going to be easy, carefree, blissful, and a walk in the park. Something's out of whack there, isn't there? It's like, well, Jesus, he can take up his cross, but the only cross that I'll take up is the one I bought from Proud's Jewelry on half price around my neck. Right? You think something's out of whack there, right? But Jesus is saying, no, no, if I'm the teacher and you're the student, if I'm the master and you're the servant, if I'm the head of the household, you're part of the house, what do you think will happen to you if you hang around me, if you are truly following me? As Martin Luther said, they gave our master a crown of thorns why do we hope for a crown of roses? You know, Jesus was the most loving, compassionate being on the face of this planet. And yet, not everyone loved him. He created division. People either hated him or they loved him. And if we follow him, we will experience the same thing. I mean, Jesus said, we looked at it last week, you'll be hated by everyone because of me. Yeah, our vision here at the Bridge Church is to live for Jesus and love like Jesus. If you live that out, you will experience opposition in your life the way Jesus did. The closer you are to Jesus, you will experience profound love from others and profound hate. But the area Jesus focuses on, particularly when it comes to this sort, is the most personal of all, Family. You know, more Christians experience persecution by their family than by government. And Jesus is saying, if you follow me, some of you will cop it from the ones who are nearest and dearest to you. Verse 35, Jesus says, I have come to turn a man against his father a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Now, the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law, the vision there, well, you know, we kind of expect that, I guess. But a daughter against her mother, man against his dad, that's heavy, isn't it? Now, Jesus is not seeking to poison family relationships. What he's saying there is when he comes knocking on your heart, there are going to be two reactions in your family. There are going to be some who welcome him with open arms. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch. Like, welcome. And there'll be others who want nothing to do with him. Blocked ears, rejection, go away. There will be a natural division when Jesus comes knocking into your family. And sometimes their reaction, there's a rejection of Jesus, can be a rejection of you. The anger towards Jesus can be anger towards you. 
Now, what's going on here? Let me explain this a bit more. Uh, some of you have engaged in international travel again, and uh, you, you know your social media highlights that. And uh, if you haven't been to international airports for a while, there used to be a thing, and I presume there still is, I haven't done it yet, called the, you know, those flat travelators? You know, those escalators, but they're flat? You, know, you just sort of sit in it, and you're like, uh, it's great, right? It's the closest thing we'll come to feeling what our groceries feel like when they go on that conveyor belt, right? I just love it. It's just, uh. But you'll notice when you go there, there's one going this way, and there's one going that way. And what's happening is, when you're going along in life, you and your family, and the Spirit comes upon you, and you realize, I need Jesus. I need to repent of my sin and turn to him. And that repentance literally is turning from the way you're going to the way Jesus is going. And so you hop off one direction and you go on the other. But as you go this way, some of your family are still going that way. There's a division, a divide that happens when Jesus comes to town. That you may have peace with God now, but it may involve conflict and division within your family. Now, you've got to remember, the context that Jesus is speaking to is a culture that is a very traditional culture, where family is everything. But by those who follow Christ, and he becomes everything, your allegiance is to him, the implications for that choice can be massive. Let me tell you two stories about two people who lived in Sydney and what it meant for them when they became a Christian. One is Lillian. When Lillian became, Lillian became a Christian because a friend of work shared Jesus with her, she realized, I need him. She went to her parents to tell, I mean, she's an adult grown woman, she went to tell her parents that she'd become a Christian. Her mum slapped her in the face. Her dad got out the will and crossed her name off and said, I wish you were never born. The impact for her was profound. Following Jesus meant complete rejection from her parents. I mean, there's, there's my dad, right? When he became Protestant Christian, his mum, my nanna, cried every day to his face at the shame of that. How could you betray the family? And those stories, right, happening in Sydney, they're having a large role in the world. Some of you have experienced things like that. That when you became a Christian, the reaction from your loved ones was severe. Now, what is happening there? Why is this happening, right? By virtue of you having your allegiance to Jesus, him being your first love, family members will feel like you hate them. Now, you don't. You love them, but they can feel a hate because what you're saying was your identity with Christ, or it feels like you're saying you don't want to be Maltese or Lebanese or Thai anymore. Are you rejecting us? No, 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 but it feels like that. When your priorities change where it's not family's number one, but you love your church family, where you don't do things that the rest of your family are engaging in, like going to the temple to pray for ancestors, going to the mosque, when you're changing things, they feel that, but at the end of the day, it's just a shame. The shame of having to tell their loved ones, their friends, that my child, my brother and sister, is one of those Christians. You love your family, but you love Jesus more. And the implication is your family feel like, you hate me. You hate us. 
And can I say, if you have felt like this, know that most Christians around the world have felt what you feel, are feeling what you feel. But it's not just Christians. You know Jesus has been where you've been? In Mark 3, there Jesus is preaching about the good news. And then his family come out, his aunts and uncles and cousins, and they are mortified. They're embarrassed. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. And they try and suppress him. See, Jesus brought division into, even to his own biological family. Some loved him. Mary, his brother James, and other brothers, other aunts and uncles and cousins, they hated him and rejected him. The family that he'd grown up with for years and years and years, he saw their hostility. He saw their tears. He saw their anger. And he has been where some of you have been. But others of us, becoming a Christian, haven't experienced things like that. And chances are, if you haven't experienced things like that, either you've born up in a Christian home or you've born up more in a Western white home, right? Where family is important in Western culture, but it ain't number one. What's number one? I've heard it before in open mic. Individual self-expression, right? Do whatever makes you happy. And so when you became a Christian, right, the parents, your family, they rolled the eyes. They thought it was a bit of a phase. You'll grow out of it. But at the end of the day, they have to say, whatever makes you happy. But even if that's you, you may be feeling more and more a division within your own flesh and blood. As things go on, feeling more like an outsider, an alien, even in your own home. Because as culture changes, you need to embrace tolerance, and tolerance is accepting others and affirming others and advocating for others. And you as a Bible-believing Christian are a threat to that. And so all of a sudden you become an enemy and you're feeling that isolation more and more. You know the looks, the comments, what people have said about you. They haven't kicked you out, but you know what they call you. It's like Trevor. This is Trevor's story. That's Trevor's experience. And he thought things were okay until he discovered the WhatsApp group by members of his family where he was not part of it. And he saw the memes and the comments. He's a bigot. He's intolerant. He's an idiot. Aimed at him. From his brother, sister, mum. You know Jesus, you know what word they called him? Beasible. Okay, Satan. They found the most offensive word they could and they lumped it at him. Was it true? Was he Satan? No. Jesus was accused, like you and I, of things that were not true. But gee, it hurts. Gee, it hurts. Jesus doesn't want you to be naive, friends. If you follow him, it will bring a division at one level or another, either now or in the future to those who are flesh and blood. Now, we want to be, as we saw last week, we want to be innocent as doves, right? A character matters. If we're gossip, if we're rude, we're neglectful, bullying, or nasty, right? That's on us, right? We can't claim, well, they hate me. Well, that's obvious, right? If you're doing those things. But if you're being like Christ, then you'll experience what Christ experienced, hated by your family. So, it's clear from Jesus the cost of following him. He ain't hiding it. He doesn't want you to have a Megan Markle moment. But he's also clear on the alternative. 
He's also clear on the cost of non-discipleship. Verse 39, have a look. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will find it for my sake. See, if we cling on, if we hear what Jesus is saying, you know what, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think I can do that. No, I'm sorry. I want an easier life. My family's important. Sorry, Jesus. Gift back. Jesus is saying, you may find your life. Find the things that, yes, this makes me happy. But you will ultimately lose it. At one level, because everyone dies. The thing you cling on to, you will lose it. But you'll lose not just that, you will lose the peace that comes from knowing the Lord Jesus. Having the Holy Spirit dwell within you. The peace and the joy of knowing heaven is coming. You lose God. At the end of the day, friends, Jesus is saying, you're going to miss out on something. Make sure the thing you're missing out on is worth it at the end of the day. Now, some of us are thinking, you know what, James? I hear what you're saying. I'm just scared. You don't know my parents, my siblings, my extended family. And it's right, I don't. But Jesus does. And that's why he says in Matthew chapter 10, three times, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he doesn't just say it. He gives us a reason. And he brings up the, one of the topics that's one of my favorite topics, and that is birds. I'm a bird watcher, FYI. Verse 29 He says this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And the answer is, yep, and that's pretty cheap. FYI, sparrows are the disposable masks of the bird world. They're everywhere in abundance and not all that significant. But the reality is you may feel like one. You may feel like a tiny sparrow in your family. But Jesus says, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. See, as God sends out his disciples then and now, he doesn't step back and say, well, good luck. He doesn't have a bird's eye view of it. No, no, no. He is oh so close. He is attentive. He is following you. He is watching you so much so that he knows how many hairs upon your head. For some of you, that's a challenge, and others, you not so much, right? But he is so up close with you, day by day. He's not let you loose and say all the best. No, no, no. He's with you every step of the way. I don't know if you know what this is on the screen. There's a picture. It's not a sparrow. It's a chestnut-rumped thornbill, right, for those playing at home. Now, chestnut rum thornbills are a small brown bird native to Australia, and they live in the desert, the, the, the centre of this country. And there's about five million of them. Now, chances are, not only you don't even know what this bird is, but chances are you'll never see one in the wild, right? And yet our Heavenly Father knows where every single one of the chestnut rum thornbills are in this country. He knows what they're doing right now. He knows what they're eating, which bugs. He knows where they're sleeping. He knows when they'll breathe their last and fall to the ground. If he has complete knowledge and whereabouts of the chestnut-rumped thornbill, then, friends, you are worth more than a chestnut-rumped thornbill. You know that. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
See, if he cares for the needs of those little birds, he will care for your needs. Jesus did not die on a cross for a thorn bill. He died on a cross for you. Jesus was not forsaken by his father for a thorn bill. He was forsaken by his father for your sake. Jesus ain't welcoming the thorn bills into it. He's welcoming you into his eternal fate. Jesus is not coming back for a thorn. He's coming back for you. You are worth more than many, many, many sparrows or thorn bills. So do not be afraid. But more than that, friends, we not only look back and look around, but we do look forward. Because Jesus is clear. He wants you to know not only the costs, but he also wants you to know the rewards. It is not in vain what you are doing when you endure hardship. He wants you to know it is worth it. And that's why that little verse, right at the end of chapter 10, verse 42, if anyone gives you even a cup of water, cold water, to one of those little ones is my disciple. Truly I tell you, that person will not certainly not lose their reward. You know, Jesus notices even like the smallest a cup of water, the smallest thing you can give in the Middle East, right? To the littlest of disciples. God's eyes not only fixed on you, but he's fixed on what you are doing. The smallest little things that you do. He sees the way, right, even... Families are behind closed doors, right? It's not closed off from God. He sees the way in which you engage with your family members who aren't followers of Jesus. That husband, wife, those adult children, your brother, your sister, your parents. He sees the way in which you stand firm for him, even though you get those comments, those rolling of the eyes. He sees the way you put him first, and your family feel that, and you feel that too. He knows what you've copped. He knows what you've missed out on. And it is not in vain. There is a reward coming, friends. There is a reward coming. You may feel like it is insignificant, the things that you are doing, but it is oh so significant to God. And that reward may be, verse 40, seeing family members come to Christ. As they welcome Christ into their life, they welcome you and you have peace. Oh, may that be the case. You and I have family members who we'd love to see come to know the Lord Jesus, yeah? That is our hope and prayer. But if that does not have, there's still a reward in sticking with Jesus. Because when he returns, friends, he will say, though you've missed out on an inheritance, here is my inheritance. And it won't spoil or fade. To those who had family walked out, he welcomes you into his family. To those who've had parents say you were a disappointment, a letdown, you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. To those who experience division now, you will have peace. Jesus gave up everything, friends, for you to be his treasure. And whatever you've given up in making Jesus your treasure, two words, worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you trusting completely, knowing that as we follow you, we're not guaranteed many things in this world. But as long as we have you, that will truly be enough. We ask that we would not hold tightly onto the things of this world, but we will trust you 
that we would trust that we are worth more than sparrows. You have said it. And we want to believe that wholeheartedly. We ask that whatever we've given up, whatever it costs, whatever it means for those that we love and how they treat us, we ask knowing that we'd see what you see, that it will be worth it. Whoever loses their life for your sake, we will find it. This we pray in your name. Amen.